the way that non-monogamy did help me explore my queerness that had always been there um, was that I felt by the time I met Miranda more secure in my abilities physically because I had had the opportunity at these parties to have experiences with women, even though I hadn't lost my virginity, like it was very reaffirming of like, yes, I do really want this. And I, this is part of my sexuality and Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I can seem to make a woman feel good. Welcome to the live your fuck yes life podcast. Your place for all things real talk and conscious conversations about shit that really fucking matters. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, your go-to bisexual polyamorous confidence coach who tells it as it is and owns her mess. If you're here to live your fuck yes life, welcome home, my love. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to episode 145 of the pod. Oh my God, how are you hanging in? <laughs> um, I, it, I I don't even know how to start these intros anymore um, beyond obviously introducing the incredible guests that I have um, because I always like to talk to you guys and just be like, what's up? How's your, however your two weeks been? Whatever. Um, but I know that right now the world is continuing to just be fucking on fire and it's just a perpetual shitty, you know? (laughs) I mean, I hope that you're all having beautiful moments in between the chaos that is this world and that you're able to find 1% or 10% or however much you're able to muster of peace and love and and laughter and, and, and hugs with your people. Um, but the collective is fucking a shit show. Um, and, um, I know I'm feeling it. I'm sure you're feeling it too. And I just, it, I didn't want to slash couldn't not acknowledge that before we get started. Um, and before we talk about this incredible fucking episode, which um, honestly, it tackles so many of the subjects that you guys have been wanting to explore more and asking for um, in a bigger way. I did an Instagram poll on this a little bit ago, and you guys were so helpful with that. Um, talking about, you know, really wanting things like queer liberation, um, non-monogamy, and, you know, all of that good stuff, of course, um, trauma, um, people-pleasing. And honestly, this episode dives into all of that um, and so much more. We're going to get into that in a second. But before we do, I just wanted to say also that at the end of this episode, we do talk about what's happening in the world um, a little bit. Um, and, um, really Rachel mentions it and I wanted to make sure that there was some, um, support, um, and, and links in the show notes for anyone who wants to, uh, support the abortion funds or, you know, sign the petition to defend Roe v. Wade. Um, I know we're still in the throes of it and we recorded this basically like, I think it was two days after um, everything started getting leaked. So it's very fresh on both of our hearts in this conversation and um, definitely fresh on my mind um, as the week has continued and probably on yours as well. Um, I know so many of us are just feeling a lot. Um, And yeah, there's always stuff to do, right? And so if you have it in you, um, if you can, I put those in the show notes for you just to have um, super simple, um, accessible links. um, And you can check that out. But yeah, back to this episode. Um, You know, Rachel Krantz um, is a writer and um, wrote the book Open, which is why I initially had her and wanted to have her come on because I... I found out that this book existed um, <laughs> not that long ago. Uh, I want to say like a month or two ago. And um, I immediately ordered it and devoured it within 24 hours. Um, it is truly like a raw tell-all of all things kink, non-monogamy, queer liberation, you know, abusive relationships, sex parties. And we get into that and so much more we don't spoil the book at all so hashtag no spoilers don't worry about that um so you can totally listen to this episode and also read the book and not be worried about that but I actually really recommend reading this or listening to this episode well I don't know you can go either way um it was really supportive of me to to just have like for my own experience of having read her book and frankly 
wanting to talk um, in an open forum about these things for a while. Um, you know, things like abuse in non-monogamous um, relationships because, yes, they happen in all relationships because abusive people exist in all spaces. And talking about, you know, non-monogamy within the span of coming into your queerness through that space, um, actually our timelines are very, very, very similar um, in terms of our own lived experience and how we came into our queerness. And so that was super intriguing for me. And I know a lot of you resonate with that. And also talking about kink and um, and just, you know, uh, sex parties. And just it's fun. We, we It's a really good episode. But I do want to say before we even get into it that um, there's a trigger warning. We do really dive into the nuances around emotional and psychological abuse, um, manipulation, gaslighting, self-gaslighting, power dynamics, and all of that. Um, so just know your heart, know your own needs um, when it comes to those things. I think it's an incredibly important conversation. I am so glad we had it, um, especially you know, we just talk really openly from two people who have been in relationships for a long time. And she really explores those dynamics at length um, and talks about them from just a, a lens that supported my heart so much and really helped me feel seen in our conversation. And I know that so many of you are going to resonate. Um, so yeah, if you're unfamiliar with Rachel Krantz and Rachel Krantz's work, um, she's a journalist and one of the founding editors of Bustle, where she served as senior features editor for three years. Her work has been featured on NPR, The Guardian, Vox, Vice, and many other outlets. She's the recipient of a shit ton of awards, um, like the Robert F. Kennedy Journalism Award, the Investigative Reporters and Editors Radio Award, the R Edward R. Murrow Award, that's hard to say, and the Peabody Award for her work as an investigative reporter with YR Media. Um, and Open is her first book, and it definitely has that cool journalistic lens. Like, we talked about this a little bit in the episode, but... Um, yeah, it's it's just like she really takes such a beautiful, honest, raw, gritty approach to the way in which she um, wrote this memoir, frankly, um, and, and the way in which um, she made sure to incorporate, um, to record things within her life, to get like lots of opinions so that really what she was presenting um, and how she presents on here um, is very much from a, from an educated, understood um as unbiased opinion as possible <laughs> um, approach because because of her background in journalism, which is also just something I deeply fucking appreciate. Um, obviously, our biases always um, show up and mine does within this episode, as does hers, because that's what it is to be a human and have conversations. Um, but yeah, I, I invite you to listen to this conversation with an open heart and um, and to just notice where... This is what I always, always hope you do while you're listening to these episodes. It's just like notice where something comes up for you and just stay curious about it. You know, when we talk about something, like if you feel something in your, in your gut or your chest starts to feel a little tighter or maybe you feel a heart expansion, whatever it is. Like I even actually talk about some of the physical feelings I have in the context of our conversation around things that we're feeling really like. Ooh, hard for me to think about or talk about or like expansive for me to think about um, within my body. And, you know, as an embodiment coach and just some that's something that like I I really want us to start focusing on more if we can. Um, and so, yeah, just if you, if it feels open to you, if it feels accessible to you and if it feels exciting to you, um, maybe go about that in that way this episode. Um, and all of that good stuff. But yeah, like I said, coming into queerness later in life, kink dynamics, going from monogamy to non-monogamy, abusive relationships, sex parties, beyond. We get into it all. And I'm fucking stoked for you. So without further ado, let's fucking go. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for coming on to the pod and talking about all things open. I'm so excited you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I have to tell you, I read this in like 24 hours, like actually devoured this book. And as someone who has been in like the non-monogamous world and queer space for the last, I guess, four years since coming out really to myself, um, it was just like a hug and also just like a whoa. I don't even know how to put it into words beyond a whoa. Um, 
space and reading and just like, I don't know, um, it really felt like coming home in the space of a book and, and in a way that I've never felt represented within my own experience um, or just generally speaking, really um, in the context of non-monogamy. And like, I'm sure a lot of people are telling you this. I'm sure you're, you're receiving this kind of feedback all the time, but I just, before we even get started and talking about all of the things that we're going to talk about, and I don't even know where we're going to go, but like, I just really deeply from the bottom of my heart appreciate you and like your willingness to be so candid meaning like emotional, your willingness to just like share your, your experience, your lived experience within the context of your queerness, of your journey with non-monogamy and just like being a human. Cause it's really fucking beautiful to watch and to read and to just like absorb. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm just going to try to like absorb that and I'll probably listen back to it once this goes up. Cause you know, I have gotten responses like that from some people, but it's never too much. And I think it's always a good rule of thumb to always tell people when you have some sort of um, reaction to their work, especially, well, it's good to tell anyone, but writers, yeah. you know, I've talked, I have a lot of friends who are writers, fewer people reach out than you would think. I think people think that, oh, they're probably like, just inundated and like not really not that many people read books and if you do read a book and it's something that the writer has worked on for years and years it's really nice to let them Mm. know and I think just in general a very generous practice to um to tell people to not assume they they know already because we all need reminders of um our goodness and that we're making a difference that we're helping in some way or reaching someone in some way. So thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You just like made me tear up so much because I get it. I mean, I, I I self-published a book in 20, what the fuck the year was it? 2019, I think. And yeah, like it's, you think that a lot more people would reach out and say, and like you put so much of your time, energy, labor, into something that you feel so passionate about, which I'm sure is exactly like your experience in this to a degree too. And it's just like, how the fuck? Yeah. Do you even know if it's making a difference or like if people are resonating, if you don't hear from folks. So um, thank you for saying that, like as from a writer to a writer, I Mm -hmm. appreciate that. I guess that maybe like begs the question of like, what, what made, what was that thing that just like made it so impossible not to write this, you know, like what, what brought you down that path anyways? Cause I mean, this is like a fucking tell all, like (laughs) it is, it is like raw and real and open. And I know you have a long history as a writer, but like, God damn, it's just, it's, it's open. It's, I mean, it's open. (laughs) So it's like how, and what, what was like the catalyst that you were like, I can't not write this, you know? Mm. Well, I think as I was living the story, I had the unusual experience of kind of being approached by an agent with the idea of one day writing a book. And I didn't really know that I would do that, especially because I couldn't conceive of writing about it in any way that wouldn't make anyone mad at Adam. And as long as I was with him and wanted to make it work, I was like, I have to be silent. Plus I was, you know, as you see in the book, kind of slowly losing trust in my own abilities and even reality as there was more and more gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that idea that maybe the jealousy I was going through, the wonderful queer awakening I was going through, the um, emotional abuse I was going through, that all of it would one day, not at this time, but one day be for something that was about more than just me was a sort Mm -hmm. of writerly coping mechanism. And then as Mm -hmm. the gaslighting got more intense, recording on my phone with Adam's consent was a way of feeling like I had a witness. I had this, even though I felt very stuck and in these logic loops and like I knew the way I was being talked to was not okay, but I didn't know how to get out of it or argue against it, that I felt like, okay, I'm recording this for this future imaginary reader who was really serving the psychological purpose of like 
being my witness and Mm. giving me a reason to keep a record because I think the journalist in me knew that what was happening was very interesting on multiple levels, the sexual and romantic, even spiritual awakenings I was going through. And that at the same time, I was in my primary relationship getting intensely, increasingly mired in um, confusion and mistreatment. Mm. And I just thought, wow, it's really interesting that both those things can be true. And I had seen friends who are monogamous in emotionally abusive situations. And from the outside, it looks so obvious. You're like, why are they like, yeah, they keep trying to leave and they don't leave. And then it's not till you're in that situation that you're like, oh, this is, this can really happen to anyone with the right um, combination of personalities. And so I guess the journalist in me was like, maybe it would be good to have a record of how that mm. works and how that happens. Maybe that would help other people. So when I emerged from that, I think the reason I couldn't not write the book after I'd done, you know, a good amount of work healing was that I needed that, that kind of dream, that hope that it was going to be helpful in some way to other people that it won't have just been a story I went through just for myself. I needed that to be true. And I also needed to prove to myself that I was the author, quite literally, of my Mm. own life after having spent years letting someone else, wanting someone else's very dominant personality to tell me which way to go. Um, And after hearing for so many years, I wasn't ready, I wasn't capable, and hearing this kind of work diminished as less intellectual, less less, um, impressive that it was a way of kind of proving that no this is this is incredibly brave and difficult and i'm capable i'm going to do it and so it was sort of this way of yeah constructing my own narrative and proving to myself that um i was going to write the story from now on yeah like you were like the main character of your of your fucking life that's like such a trend on on the interwebs right now is like be the main character of your story but it's like it's such a like pedantic way of expressing exactly the beautiful way that you just talked about like just really taking back your power which is what I feel like this book is like it's a taking back your power story and it's like your story but it's also I'm curious like have you had a lot of people in frankly any communities but I'm sure the non-monogamous community has been devouring your book like have you had a lot of people reach out and be like I resonate with what you've experienced definitely yeah which means so much to me and why my dms are open on instagram and twitter and please like if you read it and you have any impression like that like I said please tell me please reach out to me it really keeps me going and reminds me like why I did this um I have had people reach out a lot of bi women feeling seen a lot of non-monogamous people who said that they also came to non-monogamy through an unhealthy or even abusive relationship, but like Mm -hmm. me still decided to be non-monogamous afterwards. And they didn't feel like they could talk about it because their experience was not like a perfect Mm. model polyamorous experience. And so they appreciated seeing reflected how both those things can be true. You can come to it from an unhealthy angle and still decide to carry it forward in a more healthy way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also hearing from monogamous people who've been in situations with a lot of emotional abuse or gaslighting saying it um, has meant a lot to them or helped them. Um, So yeah, all, all those messages have been so meaningful. Yeah. I, that doesn't surprise me at all, given my own lived experience and also like all of the folks I've spoken to, like, this is what you depict or aspects of what you depict in this book are true uh, and possible in any relationship dynamic. But what I've come to find and frankly shocked me, and I don't know if this has also shocked you in your experience. And I'm so curious to know, but like, I've been wildly shocked at how, uh, prevalent this type of psychological abusive behavior is within the context of non-monogamy and specifically Mm -hmm. how folks 
use polyamory or non-monogamy as almost like a means to that, right? And there's, at least I've experienced and a lot of the, the, the books, the teachings on a lot of like old school fronts, but also still things that a lot of folks perpetuate is this like, your feelings are your problem. You need to deal with it. And there's no, uh, or it's hyper-independence over interdependence, interdependence, like detachment over attachment, you know? And like all of this, like what I see as actually a move away from finding belonging in community, a move away from healthy relationship dynamics. And frankly, like really has caused me to reevaluate my own connection to the community as a whole, as well as just being very, very like nervous when going on dates with folks that are, have been in the polyamorous space for a long time, or even like have these like tenants or like really into certain texts, because I'm just like, but there's, they're problematic in my opinion. And I'm just curious because I witnessed so much of that in this book, right? So many of those patterns in this book, and it did not surprise me in the least. And I wonder how much you've done in the self-reflection within your own experience around like, was this just this person or was it the person in the context of this community? And how do we how do we like separate those things? Cause I know I've been struggling with that within my own lived experience, as well as many other folks I'm speaking to. And I'm, I'm curious how that's landed for you. Yeah. It's a good question. I think, um, that coercion and emotional abuse is going to express itself in specific ways often in non-monogamous relationships that I'm exploring here, but also, um, there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of things that people, if they've never been in a non-monogamous relationship, but they've been in a situation with a lot of gaslighting where they say, oh my God, this is like the exact words because it's the same logic. So um, it's just going to be slightly different arguments. And I do think it has to do with the individuals, not the relationship model. I mean, just even in the case of Adam that I've had other past girlfriends of his when they were monogamous, reach out at different points to me and say, me too. So Mm. this was happening, whether he was monogamous or non-monogamous, just because of his particular patterns. Totally. But I do think that, um, you know, just like in monogamy, these things are going to express themselves in different ways. Like um, you often see jealous behavior in monogamous relationships being a characteristic of abuse of like, why were you talking to him? Why are you wearing that? Um, All of that you might have uh, in a non-monogamous situation that like Adam, he wasn't jealous of me uh, going out with other men and even encouraged it. But if I had any problem with his behavior or any jealousy that it was invalidated as an emo- irrational, unloving, immature emotion that mm. um, if I didn't feel heard or respected or safe, that it was because of my social conditioning that I needed to unlearn. Um, and, you know, it gets really complicated because sometimes I could see how there were aspects of that that were absolutely true. I was totally. conditioning my own yeah, childhood Yeah, it's a part trauma. of processing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it can get very confusing in particular ways in these kinds of dynamic, in non-monogamous dynamics and also kink dynamics, which is another thing the book is exploring of like, I was the submissive, but because he refused to kind of have any boundaries around communication with our dom sub dynamic, there wasn't really a way for me to exist outside of it. So it was very hard Mm. to untangle what is me being told what to do because I like being told what to do. And that's kind of what I've agreed to and what is like controlling unhealthy, unsafe behavior. Um, what is yeah. being punished versus being assaulted, <laughs> you know, totally. And we've not been modeled those things yeah. like in a healthy way. And so we're like figuring it out on our own or hoping that like, we'll have the internal barometer to know when in reality, like, especially when there's a power dynamic between, you know, a man and a woman, given like the history of that, like that's in and of itself, something to navigate, which I don't think a lot of people ever even discuss in the context of relationships, Mm -hmm. but like, yeah, I mean, you're, you add the kink layer and 
then it's almost also like an additional set of rules and circumstances that can, yeah, that the line is very, it's very like thin. (laughs) And I think you also add another level of potential shame and isolation, closeting, and all those things are Mm. conditions that are ripe grounds for abuse. You know, we have one of the first things, monogamous or not, is like isolation, is like one of the first red flags or signs of do you become this island and start having a mentality of like no one understands them but me um, or they just don't get us and then in that case it could be like well they just don't get our power dynamic or they just don't get non-monogamy because you see people being outwardly not getting non-monogamy or or being discriminatory ascribing any problems in your relationship just to that Mm. so I think it can get easier to become even further isolated in those dynamics, further ashamed when you already have a culture that's saying, you know, potentially you're asking for this if you place yourself in these kinds of situations. Oh, that just hit me so hard. The light, especially once you move from monogamy to non-monogamy, you know, there can be this like, well, this is what you asked for. Like, you asked to, you know, have multiple partners and for them to not be there for you and like deal with it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, no, that's not really how that works. You know, at least I don't think that's how it, it -hmm. should work. Um, like, you know, and, uh, you know, I have my own biases, my own shit there, but like at the end of the day, like we need people, we need people. And like the people that we want to like give ourselves to in that way, like, yes, our needs are not going to be like constantly being met hundred percent of the time. I totally understand that. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's a really liberating part of non-monogamy is being able to almost have like a structure that says that's okay. I think a lot of people feel liberation in that. And also there's also the trauma of that at at the same point. And I actually Mm -hmm. think that's what your book so beautifully does is it examines like this liberation and trauma in tandem, which I think is frankly like just a lived human experience of just being alive, but mm-hmm. I, certainly like as being queer and non-monogamous and navigating that the last four years, like that has been, it feels like the highs have been like this fucking like, oof, like feel based balls experience. And then the lows have just felt like, I don't know how to pick myself up off the floor, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And your book just so beautifully, like there's this chapter, um, the FFM chapter where you're like getting down with Miranda. I don't want to like give too much away, but you said this line and I I, I wrote it down because it actually just like, it truly brought me to tears because I remember experiencing for this for the first time with a woman. And it was the first time that you like navigated that and talked about it. And I was like, this is exactly what I felt. And, and she said, whatever you want to do is great you're great. I'm just so glad you're here. Mm. And it's so simple. Those words are so simple, but reading those on the page, I remember the first time I had that experience in the context of an intimate partner with a woman and was just like, oh, it can be that easy. (laughs) It can Mm. feel that simple, you know? Um, I don't, I don't know that that moment just like really struck me. And I, I thank you for like having such fleshed out, like you said, like journalistic perspective through the lens of your own lived experience. Like, because as a, as a coming out later in life, queer person, as I I know many people who listen to this podcast are and non-monogamous, like there's something about the nuanced and the like nitty gritty, like experience that you share Um, both in the bedroom and out of the bedroom, that is just like, it's such a breath of fucking fresh air. Like it really, really is. And it like truly made me feel so seen in my own experience as a queer person, as like, uh, as my own liberation journey, frankly, the last four years. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank thank you you for that. No, thank you for telling me that. I'm just gonna try to sit here and absorb it all. This is just gonna be a love fest. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Yeah, I actually, um, well, okay, let's talk, because uh, I want to talk about the, the concept of gaslighting a little bit, because it's something that's so present in your book before we get to the, like, yumminess, because there's so much yumminess in this book, too, that I really want to highlight. Um, but something that actually I've been thinking about within my own life, and that 
the time that I read your book really coincided with my own, like coming to terms with a lot of massive aspects of my own experience was specifically like witnessing the gaslighting, but then also the like whole concept of self gaslighting, which I had never really heard about, understood, or even believed could be true. Like where you're so outside of your own lived reality because of what's happening in your world that you start to like believe that it's normal and that like you you really should start gaslighting yourself and I'm curious like what now that you've written that the written the book and just like lived through that like what is your take on self-gaslighting like how do you feel about that do you think that's a lot more common than a lot of people think because I don't think a lot of people at least that in my circle we were like oh that's a thing you can self-gaslight yourself like there's you know, it's all like, you're gaslighting me, like, don't do it. But it's like, wait, I'm gaslighting myself, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting, because I never actually use the term self gaslighting. And you're one of several interviewers who's then used it. So clearly, Mm. what was communicated just through representing my internal thought processes, it was obvious that that's, that's what you would call it. And I think that's, that's the thing that's so insidious about gaslighting is it's, you know, manipulating someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. And that manipulation on the gaslighters part is not always conscious either, which is even more confusing. So much more complicated. Yeah. And really, once you're in that dynamic, most, the majority of the gaslighting becomes interior because their voice has taken over your mind so like by three years in for example if I had a feeling of being uncomfortable or like something was not okay that he was doing his voice would immediately be in my head arguing you know why that was not true and then it was also like there was no difference between his voice and my voice his voice was the clearest inside my head But obviously it wasn't always like I was hearing it in his voice, but it was his, his words. I had identified so much with his very persuasive worldview, had come to believe that he was just right as he so Mm. often was. And he was so good, you know, right in terms of like his arguments. Yeah. Yeah. His logic. Very persuasive, very like charismatic. Yeah. Yeah. That I would just kind of invalidate myself using his arguments, using his logic, which had become my logic, um, my worldview. Um, So yeah, in the end, there was hardly even a difference. Of course, there was a lot of external gaslighting too of him actually, you know, saying specific words that are some of them verbatim in the book recorded and on the page. Um, That's much more direct, but I would say the majority of it is actually an internal um, system that happens gradually over years of the external gaslighting, it eventually becomes internalized. I really appreciate you laying it out the way you just did, because I think it's going to be so accessible. And so like, uh, like a fuck yes. Oh my gosh. I totally identify with a lot of people listening. So thank you for that. I'm curious. I know like since, you know, the end of what we see in this book, your life has continued to you know, live on. And I know you've mentioned a lot of like your own healing journey. You talk a bit about that in the book, which is so beautiful. Um, and I'm curious, like how, how has it been for you recovering from that kind of a process and like finding your own voice again and, you know, all of these things. Cause obviously your voice is so clear in this book and also like the, the separation of that, I imagine has been like really something at least to to navigate you know what I mean so like how has that been for you yeah it was definitely very therapeutic to go through the process of writing the book but it was also re-traumatizing in some ways and obviously I'm having to revisit conversations over and over again where I'm literally you know like recreating putting myself back in that mind state which is not particularly a great way to heal or move beyond Um, but at the same time, I was doing all these interviews with psychologists who are like contextualizing what's happening, who even some of them reviewed some of the scenes and transcripts with Adam and kind of affirmed to me, like, no, 
this is abuse. And I was not even, I had the impulse to censor that word, to not Mm -hmm. use that word. I felt a lot of shame, just even admitting it had been as harmful as it was a lot of kind of aversion to even using the term gaslighting, feeling like, oh God, like what I'm hearing his voice of saying, oh, you're going to make yourself a victim now, even though I yeah. knew I was doing something more complex. So it was very helpful to work through that shame and doubt in writing while keeping the nuance and empathy for Adam and curiosity of asking psychologists as well of like, well, what's going on with him? that he's doing that. Um, and it was really important for me to understand that better as well. And so mm. I found that that combination of understanding what was driving him and having compassion for it with having compassion for myself and admitting and using some labels that the harm was real, that that was, um, that was a useful way to move through that combined obviously with, um, you know, continuing to talk with Kathy Labriola, my counselor with, um, with meditation and lots of other mindfulness practices that I I talk about towards the end of the book, all of that helped me come back. But yeah, it's, it's been incremental. I would say that now I definitely feel like it's much less, if at all, that I find his voice popping up or his Mm. judgment popping up. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, even when I started writing, it it was still pretty strong. So it was sort of like an extreme exorcism in a certain way. Totally. Yeah. I think a lot of folks can probably relate to that too. I Do I have permission to read a piece from the book yeah, itself? Because you mentioned your, your, um, your counselor, Kathy, and um, actually I think this is like a beautiful way to close this piece out because I, I this section just like really hit me. It's right at the end of the book. Um, and I'm just going to read it for all of you. Cause I want you to just like live in these words and just like hear them. Um, okay. So anyways, I felt like if I really love Adam, I should want him to experience whatever he wants to in life, the way he loves me. I still find that a compelling argument. It feels true that real love is not about possessing someone or restricting them. Oh, I hear men say that all the time. And it's not really true. Kathy said. There's no such thing as being in a relationship and being totally free. It's just a delusion to think that you could be in a long-term committed relationship and never have to give up any control. It doesn't mean you can't have any freedom. It just means you're agreeing to whatever you're getting out of the relationship is worth making some compromises for. I just think it's a false dichotomy to say, well, if I don't let my partner do anything and everything that they want, then I'm a bad person or I'm too controlling. But that's what society expects of women. We're supposed to be masochists and sacrifice everything we want to make the husband happy, whether that's giving up our career in order to raise children or moving all around the country with them as they move up the corporate ladder. Why should men get to use non-monogamy as an excuse to continue the pattern we're trying to reject? At the same time, I see how some women have experienced non-monogamy as a path to some form of liberation, Kathy continued. They realize I own my sexuality, I own my body, I am not dependent on any one person, and that in and of itself is extremely liberating to feel, especially for women with men. Many women are not getting enough attention and affection and romance. They're starving, but they're accepting it. So I think it can be extremely freeing to realize they have other avenues to get their needs met. And then you say, we're so used to dualistic thinking in our culture, I thought aloud, like either non-monogamy is being used by men to manipulate women, or it's the pathway to feminist liberation, and maybe never being dependent on a man again. But it could sometimes be both. And there's certainly nothing inherently abusive or enlightened about non-monogamy. The individual's behavior determines that. And you kind of said that earlier, but that, that I remember reading that. Oh God, I like those words are just going to stick in me forever. I remember reading that and just being like, yes, the duality, the like both lived experience, just the fact that like this exists and this exists. And especially as someone who identifies as a woman, like is a cis woman reading this and, and just navigating this experience, like through my own lens that felt so I like so similar to so many of the things that you shared in your book it was just like 
God, like, I just felt so seen by this. And I know so many people listening to this are going to feel so seen by reading your book and hopefully hearing that. Um, so thank you. Thank you for reading that. It's really beautiful to hear. Does that, is that weird for you to hear your own words back? I know when people read parts of my book to me, I'm like, this is so strange. <laughs> no, it's great. I love, I love it. I mean, I think it's, it's just that this is what you hope for, right? That the words yeah. are impacting other people and, and kind of once you put it out into the world, it's, it's no longer yours. It's everyone who reads it is having their own experience mm. with it. So it's nice to get a window into how they're experiencing it. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. So, and I, okay. So the whole other piece of this book that I feel like we haven't even talked about, and frankly, just your story that I think this book is more about like than non-monogamy is queer liberation, like, and taking your power back. Like that's kind of been my, my through line. And like the thing that I'm like, Ooh, like, and hearing you, like you talk about like your coming into your, your sexuality and like, just fucking going to these sex parties, which I was living so vicariously through because I still haven't done that because COVID <laughs> and I'm like, so wanting to, but I don't know. And just like the, the, the relationships you met and the people you met and the different relationship um, dynamics that you beautifully express and portray within the context of this, of this book and just your life. Like it's, it's so different, frankly, than my own lived experience. Um, and also I was like, Oh, the liberation of the queer person. Like, you know what I mean? I just like was so, I'm so excited for you. And I was just like, so waiting for like more and more, more and more like women in your life, more and more like non-binary folks. I was just like, come at me, like get on here, you know? Like I was so excited for you the whole time because I was like, yes, I know this feeling. I know this feeling, you know? So how did it like, how did it feel like going into that and using kind of non-monogamy? Cause I know this has been also my path, like using non-monogamy as a way to like safely ex- or feel safe in the exploration of like your sexuality, because that's such a big part of this book. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, yeah, I love that you have that response. Cause I'm also like women and non-binary and trans people, please come into my life still because it's still, um, you know, I'm, I'm not dating Miranda anymore. I won't ruin and, and say why though. We're still friends. Um, and I really, miss that in my life I think I have certain Mm -hmm. friendships that are romantic um but they're all platonic and so I I think that side of me hasn't been expressed in too long so I'm hoping it'll I feel you opportunities (laughs) come back um but I also think that really as much exploring of my queerness as non-monogamy afforded me there was also the weird situation of Adam's kink being seeing me with other men or hearing about me with other men yeah and when I was with other women it didn't really he was unusual compared to you know you think of like most men get turned on by that he really kind of I think probably because of biphobia in some ways right um Mm -hmm. he didn't like view it as a real threat he didn't view it as exciting because of what he didn't think other women were actually competition which is just so arrogant so uh, I, do, yeah. I do think that's really the only reason why you don't see me dating even more women throughout or hooking up with more women because I was so desperate by the end to um elicit his attraction and interest mm. and I knew the only way to do that was through other men um mm which is just like some more patriarchy for you. But the way that non-monogamy did help me explore my queerness that had always been there um, was that I felt by the time I met Miranda more secure in my abilities physically because I had had the opportunity at these parties to have experiences with women, even though I hadn't lost my virginity, like, it was very reaffirming of like, yes, I do really want this. And I, this is part of my sexuality and Mm -hmm. yeah, I I can seem to make a woman feel good. Um, so Mm. that was very reaffirming and kind of confidence building and just, Uh, can I just pause you for a second? Cause what you just said, like for all of my bi folks, my like queer folks who are listening, like, Oh, like 
I felt confident that I could make a woman feel good. Can we just take a second for that? Because like, damn, that's some like, yes, I just, <laughs> I want to highlight that. Cause I, I, I know I was so terrified that like, I was not going to be good at it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very like, almost like you're a teenager all over again when you like come into your sexuality mm-hmm. and like, I know so many queer like friends of mine that we talk about this all the time where it's like the last four years, I've just been a fucking teenager where I'm like, am I doing this right? Tell me I'm good. You know, give me a gold star, please. Um, because you're just, I don't know. It feels, it feels scary for whatever reason, or like, you're just, yeah, there, you have this, all this self doubt and all this stuff that like comes into play, which of course, for whatever reason, like because of societal pressure, p- patriarchy, whatever, like we just aren't necessarily feeling that way as much when it comes to men um I don't know yeah I mean it is counterintuitive of you would think if you are a woman and you're pleasing another woman that you would maybe be more confident because you'd be like yeah I know what it's like to be in that our bodies are more similar right and I think in the moment I did find that there was a real intuition and that I did Mm. I did find it easier to tap into another person's pleasure. But I think the fear that I wouldn't be able to is related to, um, well, just how phallic centric we think of sex as being and that it's this very like beginning, middle, end, you know, literal climax and come down. That's how, you know, you had sex. Put your P in my V and we good. Right. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) I knew with women that it would be, it would be different. And I, I Mm. knew that it would be potentially much more expansive and it wouldn't be as clear when it was like, over when is it done it's never just done going and going right <laughs> and it does yeah it's and so it does great. it's great and yeah. um and I also knew that I can be difficult to please I have you know sometimes a hard time relaxing and receiving pleasure as fully as I would like to so I mm-hmm. I knew it's not like in the movies where you just touch a woman for five minutes and you're guaranteed to get her off like that it's it's much more complex and it's like you really have to be with it in the moment and adaptive and I think Mm -hmm. it was kind of a fear of that too of like I knew like this is harder (laughs) so I didn't want to be bad at it because I'm a perfectionist or whatever but um going back to your question I think it was also the fact that I had been having not just those experiences with women at sex parties, but also um, the threesomes with Adam, with other men, Mm -hmm. that I just kind of felt more and had now started dating, had before dated some people on my own, other men on my own, that I was like, yeah, I'm now, I had a, a new confidence of like, what experiences I want to have, I can have. And so Mm. there was more of a sense of trust of like, it'll happen. I don't need to force it. When I meet the right person, it'll happen. So I think there was a a confidence of that. And also a sort of, because I had a person waiting at home who, at least at that point, the relationship was a little bit more satisfying, um, even if it was already fraught with a lot of jealousy, Mm -hmm. that, um, that gave me a certain foundation too of like, okay, if I'm rejected by a woman, it won't be as devastating because I have someone at home already or rejected by anyone. Whereas yeah. I think before, like my rejections by women had felt almost worse than with men because it was just mm. like, oh, uh, like, I don't know. Like I like, I, I think I somehow felt like they were, they were more of a pronouncement on, on my entire being. Well, this actually like completely like it's so funny that you you talk about that piece because I the other part that I wanted to share and read aloud which is um from way earlier in the book is like totally about this and I also read this and I was like yep I'm so seen right now so I hope you all feel just as seen as I did especially for all of you bye babes out there um but so this is it it's you said or Miranda I guess said I'm polyam now Miranda eventually continued but I'm guessing I might like something more monogamish in the long run if I have kids. But if I end up with a man, I'd need to have the freedom to be with women in some way. I now felt the same. 
Now that I knew for sure what I'd been missing, I didn't want to have to choose. I realized for this reason alone, I'd likely never want to offer someone total monogamy again. Though my queer imposter syndrome lingered, I knew for sure now being with women was not some bucket list item for me. It was like turning on music I'd been subliminally told to mute since before I knew how to operate a remote. Music I also loved, but that Adam would never be able to dance with me to. A tone his ears couldn't even register. (laughs) I wish you could all see my face right now because I'm just like, I read that. And I don't think I've ever identified with a piece of writing more. Thank you. Like, yeah, I just, I don't have to say anything else because you say it so beautifully. Um, yeah. Um, you know, and it's so interesting because I don't know if you ever had this, this feeling when you were navigating your career, but I remember thinking to myself, like, am I gay? Like, am I just gay? Right. And I even had my partners at the time or partner at the time who were, you know, men be like, are you just gay? Like you cannot stop talking about these women. And I was like, no, I'm a hundred percent. I like, I feel that way. Like I'm, I'm a queer human. Like it's, it's not about anything beyond the person really, but there is something about the, my experiences so far with women and my pull towards women that it is just, it is, it's musical. Yeah. It's yeah. It's unparalleled. And once you know that, once you feel that, like, it's really this, like, yeah, it's like this opening. Like I feel it even happening in my body right now, just thinking about it, talking about it, reading those words. Like I feel my body just like expanding in this Mm. really beautiful way. Um, Mm. So thank you for like putting words to feelings in a way that just so beautifully captures this, this experience for so many and so many people that I know, like who, if you have not read this book, just fucking read it. Like just, just pick it up. Um, It's called open. You can find it anywhere, but like, just yeah it's truly amazing so thank you for thank you for the gift that is this book and just for being you and having the courage to like talk about these things share share these things all of that thank you so much I really appreciate that yeah well I appreciate you um I want to ask two more questions before we get into the like little fast fun um thing and close out but um I'm curious because I know I feel like I would be so remiss to a lot of people are probably thinking about this while reading this book. And I'm sure you've been asked this a bunch, but I, I feel like I need to ask it. There's like this, there's this mentality within the non-monogamous community that like, there can't be any like negative seeming work. And I know you've been addressed this in your book, right. About non-monogamy, about non-monogamous relationships, because it is still such an oppressed way of operating and all that stuff, which I totally get. And also it then paints a very like idealistic picture of things that aren't necessarily true or apt. Right. And so I'm curious, like, how has that process since the book has come out, like been for you in terms of like knowing like this is showing some sides of non-monogamy that are really problematic. Um, and of course, like not necessarily non-monogamy as a whole, but the person and within your dynamic, but like, have you gotten a lot of backlash around that? Like how have people responded to that piece? Yeah. You know, I've been really pleasantly surprised that the people reaching out to me from non-monogamous community have been just with love and appreciation Mm. for it being nuanced. The judgment happens more, um, in you know like uh reviews or whatever where people will be like like non-monogamy doesn't work three stars or they're like they're not rating the book they're They're getting a rating the lifestyle basically um and yeah so I've definitely felt a lot of judgment from I guess mononormative culture at the same time as I felt I would say more than judgment I've felt a lot of understanding and eagerness Mm. to talk about it so by and large I think people get it they they get why it would be important to have more nuanced depictions of non-monogamy how that's an important part of what's going to make us ultimately more accepted within society because otherwise it's not relatable it's just these perfect people who 
never get jealous and never end up in abusive relationships or never have any problems. And of course, anytime you have two or more people coming together, you're going to have any range of outcomes. You know, all of art is filled with examples of monogamy leading to infidelity, leading to abuse, leading to wonderful love stories, hot mess love stories. And so it's just Mm going to be the same with non-monogamy. You're going to have people who abuse those structures, um, or use them as ways to control. And you're going to have people who express them beautifully. So it it really depends on the, the individuals involved. I think hopefully anyone who makes it through the whole book gets that. It's just that people come to it with a lot of judgment. Um, I think what's been disheartening is hearing from a couple outlets that they can't review it because they just had a non-monogamy book a few months ago like oh well as if there's like like a quota exactly yeah yeah um so you can definitely see the bias there I also think that um you know it hasn't sold as many copies as I was hoping it would at this point there's still a chance Mm. that because of people like you it'll spread through word of mouth and then buy it go buy it a slow burn (laughs) But I do think there's a lot of, um, and I get it because I felt it too, like where even if you're not monogamous, sometimes you just like don't want to even like, you don't want to read someone else's story about it because it's not your story. Um, Or there's a kind of knee jerk, like there's a kind of knee jerk, like I don't want to touch that or I don't want to like go to those I don't want to have to like explore my jealousy. I don't want to, or a defensiveness. Uh, it's on like the fear. Of, yeah. But there's a lot of like, yeah, potential defensiveness. I think of also monogamous people of just being like, I'm not interested in that. Or like, or oh, maybe it's like the fear of like having this book on the train and then it. like the perception. Cause I, my book is called, I chopped off my tits. And it's like, there's a picture of me, like with my boot, like holding my boobs that have naked. And people are like, it's so taboo. I can't have this copy on the train. And so I'm like, all right, then don't buy my book, I guess, you know, but like, I imagine, I know when I first came out as non-monogamous, I was devouring books. Cause there was just yeah. nothing out there. And I was like, anything I get my hands on, but like you pull up and you have like the ethical slut, like, you know, chilling. And it's like, everyone is gonna know you know and so it's like if you're not out or ready yeah so there's I do think that's part of it I mean it's it's interesting and unusual apparently that the top selling format has been the audiobook and the ebook so Mm. that exactly suggests that people don't want their partner to know they're reading it or they make so much sense want people on the train to know um but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad people are listening to the audiobook because I I narrated it and had a lot of fun doing that. So oh, that's so fun. Yeah, it's cool to get to connect inside people's ears. I guess. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, you should all freaking get this. Um, can you before we get into fast fun questions, just let everyone know where they can get a copy of Open? I know I got mine on the Amazons, but I'm sure there's lots of other places you can snag it. So yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, you can find it wherever books are sold. The audiobook is only on Audible, um, but otherwise the ebook and, and hardcover, you know, buy it wherever you buy books. And if you do buy it and like it, it, it really helps if you can leave um, a review, even if it's just like one line or mm-hmm. um, the stars, because it's all algorithms, right? So once it gets over a certain amount, it'll be like more people will find it in search it'll rise it higher so that's something that really helps I'm us always to review it on terrible Amazon or at that reads. so I will go do that like once we get off of this because oh, I always I'm like please review my podcast and then I'm like right. I'm so terrible at reviewing everyone else's <laughs> so hard um so yeah and for for the record for everyone if you're not if you haven't seen this which I know probably a lot of you have the full title is open an uncensored memoir of love liberation and non-monogamy so you can find that where everywhere that rachel mentioned okay amazing you ready for some fast fun questions so this is like not book related because we want to know you too to like and of course we get to know you through the book but like who you are today so something that you are grateful for today my freedom Mm. Mm. yeah that's a big one okay what other than this podcast, <laughs> since we're talking, is on your mind at the moment? Uh, well, I guess uh, the assault on reproductive rights is yep. on my mind. Um, I'm also starting a podcast this month um, 
my goodness. Help existing. So I'm putting a lot of thought into that and that's taking up some of my mind space and, and I'm excited so people can subscribe to that. Um, what is it going to be about? Like, what are the genre topics or whatever? So basically, yeah, help existing different conversations with people about different aspects of uh, existence that I or other people might need help with. So for example, I'm talking with like Tashi, the Buddhist monk from the book about um, Mm. what to do with feelings of despair over the state of current events. Um, Mm. Then, you know, there might be an episode of like how to have your first conversation about kink with a kink expert. Um, Other people, I talked with Jen Winston who wrote Greedy and is excellent about, um, you know, help understanding bisexuality. So the, the premise is that it can be a wide array of topics, but each conversation will hopefully be helpful to listeners in some um, practical way where they'll get kind of a better understanding of something that's not often talked about in depth or even actionable items or practices that they can integrate into their life um, when it comes to mindfulness or just help with existing more. Totally. I love that title. I think it's, I think it's very great. And it sounds like a really awesome podcast. I'm excited for you. It sounds like a fun project. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, I think that's what I've realized is most meaningful is if I feel like I'm helping in some way. And that um, Mm -hmm. also what feeds me a lot is having these kinds of connected one-on-one conversations. And so it it just seems like a great way to, to do that. Yeah. It's, I mean, as someone who's been podcasting since 2018, it's like, it's such a labor of love. And also like, I, it's been so hard to like, I keep being like, I can't do this anymore. It's like, so time consuming. So like, it's so draining. It's so money draining, but it's also just like, I love, I live for it. I live for being able to have these conversations, being able to then like center someone else's lived experience and create a conversation around that so other people can also like learn it's just it's Mm -hmm. so amazing and empowering and I'm excited for you like it's that's so cool I'm stoked I can't wait to listen thank you okay something you would tell the version of you from four years ago um you're not crazy and you're not a freak you are on this path for good reasons that you will, you know, you'll figure it out. And even if you're not sure how to extricate yourself right now, you know, keep listening to yourself and, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out. And then you'll try to turn that into some way of helping other people figure it out. Mm, Love that. Okay. And last question, what does it mean to you to live your fuck yes life? Hmm. I guess continuing to be open and present as possible um, to live less and less in the future or like my life is something that's going to happen once I reach a certain point um, Mm. and more just increasingly aware that it's happening right now and there's not some place I'm going to get to that's going to be even better than this moment but rather like this moment is in itself the point so Mm. I think the more that I can live in that truth uh, the more everything becomes just fuck yes it doesn't have to be something so exciting I don't think you knew that I needed to receive those words today but it's but I did so thank you um because that was so profound and so much wisdom this whole conversation has been so beautiful and I just so deeply appreciate your heart I appreciate your work I appreciate just who you are in this world and all the things that you've done and all the things that you you know will do in the future I look forward to being supportive and um, and watching you shine up close and from afar. So, um, I know we already talked about open again, the book is called open and uncensored memoir of love, liberation, and non-monogamy. I will link it in the show notes for all of you guys, but, um, otherwise, is there anywhere else that like everyone can follow you like love on you? I know you have some social media stuff that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Thank you so much. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel Krantz. Um, and yeah, my DMs are open. I love hearing from people. So feel free to, to reach out. And I post 
most of the updates on there I'll be posting, you know, every week I do a podcast episode, it'll be on there. So you can keep up with me there or on my website, racheljkrantz.com. Cool. Amazing. And that will also all be in the show notes for all you guys. Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been so great. Thank you so much. This has been uh, very nourishing for my heart. So I really appreciate it. Same, same. (laughs) And there you have it. Thank you, Rachel, so much for coming on the podcast and for everything we talked about in today's episode, Um, the book, you know, all of Rachel's information, all of the resources I mentioned at the top of today's episode for Roe v. Wade stuff. um, And also, you know, just anything else that you might be interested in is in the show notes um, on any of your devices when you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Um, Or you can just go to amandacatherineloy.com slash podcast slash 145. And that's where it it always lives. Um, All the episodes live that way too. So um, check it out, get your stuff. um, And please, if you liked this episode, like we said on, on, you know, in, in conversation today, like, sometimes this can be a really lonely endeavor, you know, writing a book, doing a podcast, whatever it is, you're putting all of this, this work, you know, your thoughts, um, everything into the world. And, you know, it's so, it really does make all the difference to get a message in your DMs or, you know, an email or whatever it is like, or a review, like, like, um, like Rachel said, um, as you know within your within your sphere because it just makes it all worth it it makes putting out all of the vulnerable shit the shit that feels really fucking scary to share is scary to share um can completely change your life in both beautiful ways and also really challenging ways um it just makes it all fucking worth it and connecting with you guys makes it all worth it so if you like this episode please go support Rachel go thank her in her dms um all of the information for how to get in contact with her is like i said in the show notes um she's on instagram and twitter like she mentioned and and go go, go say thank you, um, or go read the book and, you know, write a review, all of that good stuff. It really does make all the difference. And, um, and I know how much I appreciate that when I get it. And clearly she does too, because she mentioned that so many times and it it really does make such a fucking difference. And you guys are all the fucking best. And I know you're gonna show up in fucking droves. So, okay. Fucking hang in, hang in there. Um, and I'll see you on on the flip side, I guess. Until next time. All right. <laughs> bye bye.